0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Victoria Newlands, Investment Advisor in Tilney's London office, and I'm talking with Ben Seaver Scott, our Head of Multi Asset Funds, about global markets, political events, and Tilney's asset allocation and outlook. We're recording the podcast from our homes today on Tuesday, the 29th of September. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, Or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So, Ben, the last month's been a volatile one for investors with some significant risk-off momentum contrasted by some very positive days. Could you give us a roundup of what's been going on in the markets over the last few weeks?
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely. It's certainly, as you say, it's been it's been pretty volatile. Generally, I think what we've seen, sentiment has started to sour. it was fine towards the end of, of August. In fact, August was was a particularly strong month. H- historically, we've seen August do not a lot as people have been away on holiday. Not this year, it was a positive month. But since then, I, I think the mood has definitely turned in September. And as you say, that there are some details there worth worth picking up on. But just at a sort of aggregate level, you know, in, in dollar terms, global equities are down uh, around 3.4%. We tend to measure Global equities in US dollar terms as the global currency. Uh, UK fared a bit better, down just half a percent. But actually, tied in with that, we saw sterling uh, weaken as well. And sterling was off around 4% uh, against the US dollar. So, actually, that had the effect of lifting all those overseas equities. So, investors, sterling investors, might have seen the rest of the world being okay. Actually, most of that was just because of our own currency has been uh, a little bit more challenged uh, overall at the global level. And in particular, I think U.S. equities suffered. Uh, there were news reports uh, at, at the end of August, beginning of, of September, uh, around the Nasdaq whale that caused a technical correction. And even as equities were falling, we didn't see, see government bonds really move at all. And you would have thought historically that they tend to be a risk-off asset. They didn't budge, and gold was actually down as well It's now, or as we look at it today, just below an ounce, around 4.5% weaker. And I think there's been a number of factors that have contributed to that. Some of it has been around the realisation that, you know, this is about as far as economic activity can happen until we do have some sort of vaccine. But tied in with that, I think investors have been a little disappointed. We're still waiting for some fiscal stimulus from the US there's growing signs of sort of fiscal reluctance and a, less, a lower level of willingness of governments to, to open the taps aggressively. And the same from central banks. Central banks are, are sitting on their hands, maybe waiting for it to, to get worse before it gets better. We've got Brexit. Uh, you know, I think that we're starting to see a few more business failures and unemployment creeping up. And all of those, I think, really conspired uh, to, to put a dampener on what has been pretty, uh, pretty positive sentiment recently.
0: You touched there on the sell-off in US equities and referenced the NASDAQ Whale. Well, so it'd be good if we could explore in more detail what you think drove that. But firstly, what do we mean in the investment industry when we refer to a whale?
1: Well, uh, I mean, a whale, it's, it's basically a nickname we give to uh, what is considered to be a single large investor. They tend to run some of these, uh, some of these mega funds, often these huge institutional Type mandates we've seen before uh, a London whale uh, and this was this was uh, a Nasdaq whale. What it means is there's been a, a quite significant move in the market and participants, and it tends to it tends to normally be rumour, you know. Uh, but in this case, uh, it was actually believed to be to be SoftBank, and it's considered one large player has driven quite a significant movement. And, and I mean, what, what happened there? So NASDAQ, of course, is one of the, the large US stock exchanges. It tends to have a lot of tech names on, not exclusively, It has got others on as well. But a lot of the tech names are there, you know, the likes of Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft and Amazon are all listed on the NASDAQ. And those stocks uh, have done phenomenally well. So in context, they've done very well. Uh, so far this year, they're up 24% that says that the NASDAQ generally, those tech stocks have done around 24% since the start of the year, actually 75% from the, the bottom of the market in mid-March. So that puts it in some context. But what we saw happening in late August, there was a bit of a surge in these stocks from the middle of August to the start of September. They surged just under about 10%, and that was quite a sharp move in a small number of days, uh, technically, that looked interesting. It was a, a bizarre pattern. You tend not to see them happen that much. And what it then transpired is that uh, the SoftBank—it uh, was reported, at least. Okay, no one ever confirms these things. Um, but it was reported that SoftBank were using uh, a type of derivative uh, options, um, which tend to be a little bit more fickle in their nature, to buy up some of these tech names that caused these these stocks to rise. And I think on the back of that. Uh, quite a lot of uh, of investors also piled in. You tend to, some investors in the market see a sharp move and want to get in. They get this sort of fear of missing out move, and then subsequently it's reported that it was in fact probably SoftBank behind these. It was a an options trade, and I think that that spooked spooked a few people. Uh, and then we saw this ten percent fall, a technical correction, in the space of just three business days. So very sharp moves, um, but it was a sort of rise followed by a fall. But I think that has also had an impact in the market. It hit sentiment a little bit and reminded people of some of the fragility that you can see in the market.
0: Turning now to asset allocation, I recall at the time of the the last recording last month, um, we were in the process of reviewing our asset allocation by reducing risk across the strategies. Would you mind taking us through those key changes?
1: Uh, yes, of course. And uh, and hopefully listeners will appreciate last time we couldn't really talk too much about them. Uh, we tend not to discuss asset allocation changes while they're being implemented. We talk about them afterwards. But those have now been implemented across the sort of key mandates. And I think what we were really looking to do there was just a gentle bit of de-risking in the portfolios. And I think, as we've talked about before, we've held a sort of pro-risk stance from uh, through the crisis, and we've really ridden that, uh, that that positive wave in risk assets post the crisis and what we've looked to do now is just trim some of those back so you know this isn't a case that we we're turning actively cautious but just some of those uh, pro-risk positions we're just paring back and taking uh, a little bit of profit on in terms of the changes that we've made most notably it's in credit uh, so those are effectively bonds and uh, bonds that, that is a debt instrument of companies We've gone to zero on our high yield bonds. High yield uh, tends to be at the riskier end of fixed income. and We've held those uh, throughout this year. And now we've closed those out after a particularly good run of the last few months. So we've gone to zero in that area. On the investment grade corporate bond side, we've also just trimmed uh, a little bit. And we've also reduced our equity. But again, our equity was probably uh, slightly overweight compared to where it normally would be. And we've just taken that back to to a neutral stance and with those proceeds we've built up a tactical cash buffer and i think that allows us to be neutral on equity which allows us to take advantage of any general movements in markets particularly if we do see more liquidity added and it gives us a cash buffer that we can look to redeploy if we do see other uh, attractive areas and i think in particular it's it's credit that i think has had a good run and it's difficult To see it doing spectacularly from here, it could still continue to do fairly reasonably. um, But I think if you look at the outlook, it's a bit more nuanced and particularly challenged as we talk about credit.
0: Thanks, Ben. And more broadly, what's our outlook in terms of both asset allocation and region?
1: So I think it is important to to differentiate out some of the shorter to medium term tactical changes that we're doing with our, our longer term view. And on a short term, I think that the factors that we've highlighted previously are continuing to accelerate uh, the risk of potential short term pullbacks. Uh, In fact, as we saw in September, most of these moves we implemented in the middle to the end of August, so before some of those shorter term movements. But I think that the growing risk we talked before about this, this fiscal event being out of sequence, we've had fiscal stimulus before we've had the business failures and unemployment, and that presents, I think, a bit of a short-term risk. A lot of the good news around uh, potential vaccines and deployment is in the price, and arguably, if we do have any wobbles, uh, we could see those starting to dip a little bit as well. And I think as we are approaching the turning of the cycle, um, until we do have that that sort of creative destruction in the system, I think it does still pay to be a little bit more wary. So, so that's why we've moved to a neutral stance on equities. Against that though, of course, we are conscious that governments are still willing to, to use fiscal stimulus, and central banks will tend to pump money in, but what we've seen historically, they, particularly central banks, tend to wait until there is a pullback before they, before they put that money to work. So those are some of the short-term triggers we're looking at. What makes me a bit more cautious in credit, particularly high yield, um, I think it's difficult to build a positive case on both sides for high yield. If you consider high yield bond is made up at one cent, as all credit is, uh, an underlying uh, base rates, whatever sovereign bonds are, that's your starting point. And then you have the credit risk of the company on top. And I think if we do have uh, a vaccine for COVID-19 in the short term, it's likely the base interest rates will rise, um, which is going to impact credit more broadly. uh, And that's going to be a negative for for uh, uh, bonds of all all shapes and sizes outside of, of uh, inflation I'll talk about in a moment. Whereas if we do have any sort of negative news, then you do seem, tend to see those credit spreads be hit as well. So again, both those scenarios don't seem particularly positive uh, overall for credit, or certainly not as positive as they have been up until now. And we've, we've taken advantage of quite a lot of that yield compression. So it does make sense to us to take profits on those trades. Um, on the medium to long-term basis, I think we are starting to see uh, the, uh, us moving towards a new economic cycle. As I said, there's probably still some creative destruction uh, to come through. That is unfortunately going to lead to unemployment and business failures. And of course, that is going to be very painful for those directly affected. But an aggregate level, it's an important part of the cycle. It, gets, uh, it, it basically gets rid of unproductive assets and recycles that money into productive assets. And actually, if you look on the long-term view, when we get to that stage through the next, uh, as we enter the next economic cycle, that could be a positive environment in the long-term for for equities as we see the economic cycle progressing, we see economic recovery, that could be an attractive point. I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but we're certainly heading towards that. And I think tied in with that, as we see that this next, next economic cycle So we talked about before, I still think on a medium term basis, inflation is being underappreciated. So any assets, I mean, inflation tends to benefit equities, but also areas such as inflation protected securities, uh, UK index link gilts could benefit as well as gold as those inflation expectations start to come through
0: thank you that was very useful i thought um whilst you're speaking it might be also useful to delve a little bit more into the us we've got the uh, election the us election five weeks today so we're starting to see things really heat up with the first trump biden debate this evening one of the key topics is widely expected to be the supreme court following the death of the late justice ruth bader ginsburg last week so, Ben, I thought you could take us through how you think that will play out and what the potential impacts of a new judge in the US Supreme Court will be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, was a really inspirational figure. I watched a film out last year called On the Basis of Sex, which is a side note I'd totally recommend to anyone. It, it, it's a fascinating film. Uh, but as you say, the, the, normally the, these sort of legal nominations wouldn't have much of an impact on the investment view, but things are very different this time around. Obviously, uh, Republicans are are looking to rush through a new nomination um, before the presidential elections, and it's likely that that, we know that nomination is going to be uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, who is a naturally conservative judge, and that's likely to tilt the Supreme Court in favour of conservative judges. Um, And that's really having two impacts, one of them is going to be around the turnout of the vote. Because of where it's happening in the cycle, that could, and, and it's at the moment it's unclear which side it, it's going to win out on, but that could well energise some of the turnout in the vote, which could have a material impact on, on which a presidential candidate ultimately wins. Uh, and I think, obviously, that's only a few weeks away, uh, but we will have, I think, at least one more podcast out before that. So I think at that stage, we'll, we'll probably want to talk a little bit more about the outlook depending on uh, on which president gets uh, gets the nomination but more immediately it ties into something i said earlier and that's us politicians and this fiscal stimulus bill the market is waiting for for the us uh, authorities to introduce more fiscal stimulus and at the moment republicans and democrats are pretty far apart the republicans want a stimulus that's a little less than a trillion dollars The Democrats want stimulus uh, that's over $2 trillion, and President Trump is somewhere between the two. And we really need that stimulus to come through. And at the moment, politicians are sidetracked um, by by the Supreme Court nominations. And that's led to a delay that's now been the best part of a month, and that's souring sentiment. Until we see that coming through, markets are likely to remain nervous. In fact, looking at central banks, the Fed's own projections expect around a trillion dollars worth of stimulus. If that doesn't come through, then all of those projections uh, are are essentially at risk. So I think that the main impact, there's one impact in terms of of the election itself, but the other impact is it's further delaying this this fiscal stimulus coming through, and that's really going to impact market sentiment until that materialises, and that could still be uh, several weeks away.
0: Ben thanks again ever so much for your comments we'll be back again soon with a new episode but in the meantime if you've any feedback questions or comments please do send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk thanks for listening